City. Welcome to Mark to Markets. I'm your host, Mark Penziner. On this podcast, we discuss topics related to your money, markets, and issues near and far from personal finance. On this episode, I've invited Joe Sun to join. Some of you may remember Joe when we worked together many years ago. Joe's now a research analyst on Bernstein's sustainable and thematic equities team, so he spends his time meeting with companies, think tanks, and consultants all over the world to understand their business, industry dynamics, and macroeconomic trends. He does that to try and build a portfolio best capitalizing on that knowledge. Joe, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate your time today. So with that as a backdrop, what is it that you actually do? Sure. So, you know, I think, you know, one of the words that you mentioned there that uh, goes hand in hand with our team is, is thematic. And, you know, the beauty of thematic investing is, you know, we're not really focused on what the markets are telling us historically. We're focused on long-term secular themes. So things like autonomous driving or rising costs of healthcare uh, or clean energy. These are the kind of the big ideas that we really focus on uh, investigating and subsequently investing in those companies that are best positioned uh, to commercialize those themes. So very simply, uh, not only do we meet with companies, understand uh, company fundamentals and profitability, uh, but we'll also meet with think tanks. We'll meet with universities like MIT, uh, as they specialize in, in autonomous driving. Uh, we'll meet with UN delegates to understand how uh, various policies globally are shaping uh, sustainability efforts as well. So it's a little bit of everything, but all of that goes into to building a nice streamlined portfolio for our clients. So, so uh, this may be a, a terribly naive question, but when I think most people hear sustainability, they're thinking green, yeah. right? Or, yeah. or impact investing. There's a yeah. ton of buzzwords in this space. When you're thinking about sustainable investing, are, are you building a green portfolio or a socially and economic um, responsible portfolio? Or, or are you building um, a long-term trend portfolio when you say sustainability and then you say AI and self-driving cars? That, to me, may or may not be green, but it's more about the future. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. And I think uh, in today's world, the taxonomy really um, is becoming quite a burden just because there's, there's so many flavors and, and, and various levels. Uh, for simplicity's sake, I'll, I'll focus just on sustainability because that's what uh, our team's really focused on. Um, so very simply put, uh, sustainability to us is really you know, owning companies that benefit society and the environment. And you know, when you kind of boil that down, there's, there's really two benefits there. There's, there's financial benefits and non-financial benefits. Uh, very simply, financial benefits will translate to uh, strong investment returns for clients. Uh, that's supported by our research um, and, and our investment management skills here at Bernstein. The non-financial benefits are the things like contributing to uh, the development of uh, cleaner energies or uh, trying to eliminate and eradicate poverty and hunger globally. Um, so our portfolio takes those two concepts and really focuses in on, in on them. Now, going back to the concept of sustainability, I think it's fair to say that if you polled an audience of 100 people, you'd get 100 different responses of what sustainability is. Now, our definition of sustainability is represented by a fairly credible third party, which is the United Nations. Uh, in 2016, the UN released something known as the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, these are actually an offshoot of the Millennium Development Goals that were released in 2000. Now, these 17 goals 
represent things like eliminating poverty, providing access to healthcare, uh, providing education. So these 17 goals uh, were co-authored by 200 countries globally um, and are estimated to cost roughly $90 trillion to achieve over the next 15 years. Uh, so we think that this offers a very strong, solid foundation uh, to not only building an investment portfolio, um, but also providing a nice roadmap for those individuals that uh, want to invest in the concept of sustainability. But am I, if I'm an investor, am I, am I one or the other, right? So the average investor wants to make money on their money. Got that. This is a portfolio that you said wants to make money on its money, but it's also got this notion of sustainability. So where is the middle ground, right? Am I taking X percent of my money and putting it in these big green ideas? I mean, everyone wants to make the world a better place, but am I going to make the world a better place and is it going to cost me money? Or do I have to allocate all my capital this way? Like, how, how do I think about it? Because I would guess that, that, look, there are people who clearly want their money to be invested in a way that is in line with their values. And, and that's great. But there are probably a larger percentage of the people who say, I want to make money on my money. I wouldn't mind making the world a better place, sure. but it's, it's some mix of those two things. So, so how do you balance that? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I think that really strikes at the heart of what we're looking to achieve. It, it's really being able to um, you know, provide strong investment returns, but also uh, align ourselves with the concept of sustainability. So... You know, with regards to how clients should think about allocating their capital, I mean, for us, we are focused on very growthy areas of the bit of, of, of the market. So things like uh, clean energy consumption uh, is certainly growing not only here domestically uh, but all over the world. And I think you know, drawing back to that that point of ninety trillion dollars, um, that in itself um, is a massive investment opportunity. Um, whether it's the likes of hedge funds, private equity firms, um, or even just long-only um, you know, equity investors, $90 trillion really sets the stage for you know, how big of an opportunity that is. And I think that really exemplifies. But let me ask the question, would a, would a traditional investment portfolio consider something like clean energy? Right. So is it only the sustainable people playing in that space? Or is it a traditional stock portfolio at any firm who says... I've got an oil company, that's attractive. I've got a clean water company, that's attractive. Do they debate those two? It sounds like you're, you're more focused on just one side of that ledger. Yeah, so you know, I think to, to better answer your question, yes, we are focused solely on companies that are aligned with achieving one or more of those 17 goals that I talked about. So Exxon doesn't fit. Right? Exactly. In your universe, you're not even thinking about it. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's exactly right. And that's really the starting point for our portfolio construction process is thinking what companies, based on percentage of revenues, um, how many of these companies are aligned with achieving one or more of those UN Sustainable Development Goals. That's the starting point for us, and that's where we build our investment universe. So if a company is not going to touch on one or more of those UN goals, yeah. you just move on. That's exactly could, right. Could be a great investment, but not for you. You are 100% right. And, and a great uh, you know, example of this is a company like Netflix. Um, they have been uh, a huge factor in online content distribution. Many of you may remember them back in the 90s as your, your, your DVD rental company. Um, but today they've grown into production as, as a big part of their business and have been you know, widely successful. While Netflix is a great company, um, they're certainly at this juncture not doing any harm. 
but they're also not aligned to any of those UN Sustainable Development Goals that I mentioned. So therefore, they would not be included in our universe. Got it. So that's not a comment on Netflix as much as it is like, look, they're not making the world a better place. No harm, no foul. It's just not what we're lo- what you're looking to do. Exactly. And 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 again, just kind of you know rehashing what we are looking to do. It's really finding that dynamic between you know doing good and and and. and you know, being able to generate strong returns. So let me use a, a energy as a basic example, and this may be down a tangent, but if you're a traditional energy company that extracts energy from the ground, you're sure. Exxon. Sure. Is there a point where you might consider that company, if they pivoted their business or spent a lot of money towards clean power or water, or is it like, look, they're, they don't fit and there's probably not a point in time where they will? Because you can see commercials on TV where they say like, hey, we're doing the next generation yep. of sustainability. Absolutely. And and that, that hits on two points. So one, I think that's, you know, going back to the taxonomy for a moment, that, that's a bit of greenwashing, um, which, which I've never heard that term. where a lot of companies these days, you know, as the concepts of sustainability or responsible investing or ESG investing, uh, you know, gets more attention, you know, many more, more and more companies are being more thoughtful in the way they market their products and, and present their services. So, you know, having ExxonMobil uh, focus on um, you know portraying their algae business on TV is really only a fraction of of their profits. Um, you know, very boldly, they are an oil and gas exploration company, and and that's I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Um, you know, the other question you kind of alluded to was, you know, would we ever consider them? Uh, the very simple answer is no, um, and that's largely because of you know kind of how we think about misalignments. You know. For now, I've really focused only on companies that are aligned uh, to the UN SDGs, but there are companies that are misaligned, um, companies that are focused on tobacco production, coal and other fossil fuels, um, alcohol, gambling and pornography are, are also misaligned um, based on, on the framework that we've, uh, we've focused on with the UN. So those companies, so long as there is exposure to those industries that I've mentioned, will not really be able to make it into our universe. So who winds up in your universe, right? I mean, I, I think there are some obvious ideas. You'd say, you know, a clean water company, sure. solar, um, but I'm guessing it's a wider universe than the tra- that traditional, because it sounds like it's more than a, a green portfolio. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think it's very easy to call out a lot of the, the more climate change-oriented investments like uh, solar power or wind turbines or, or water efficiency companies. Um, but there's also other companies that are often not really brought to light. And, and one that I, I think really speaks volumes um, is HDFC Bank. And they provide microfinancing. So what is that for people who don't know? Sure. So um, very simply put, uh, microfinancing is uh, uh, similar to a bank or, or a credit union here in the United States where they issue loans in EM and frontier countries uh, that have denominations of anywhere from one hundred to five hundred dollars U.S. Now, based on one of so our, so this could be in like sub-Saharan Africa, where a hundred to five hundred dollars is is just a lot of money. It goes a long way. You're exactly right. And this concept actually came about from one of our research trips to India, uh, where we met with families and local individuals to understand their consumption habits. Now, when we polled a lot of families, the one uh, piece of uh, either a uh, device or any utility that they really wanted was a refrigerator. Um, And that was largely a product of the lives that we're living. Um, It took roughly about an average of two hours each day to go to and from the local uh, marketplace. 
um, and food had to be consumed very quickly because there was no place to keep it. So having a refrigerator was the top on everybody's list. The only way to really be able to, to uh, consume that level of utility is through a loan. Now, traditional banks in India could really only issue uh, loans and denominated of, of $10,000 and up and actually had fairly high predatory rates. Microfinance companies come in, uh, they can issue smaller denominated loans, much easier payment plans, um, and also much more attractive rates for those individuals. So companies like HDFC Bank uh, can really help increase the utility and consumption efforts um, of a lot of families in India. So when you talk about 100 to $500 loans in India, that feels riskier to me than investing in blue chip American stocks. Sure. So is, is it fair to say, it may not be, that a sustainable thematic equity portfolio is riskier than a traditional equity portfolio, or, or is it just a different type of risk? Yeah, I think it's it's a different type of risk, and and, and I think that speaks to you know kind of the fundamental research that uh, Bernstein has, has has been known for for a while now, um, and I, I think that you know the best way to really answer that is to talk about the environmental, social, and governance risks or ESG risks uh, that we factor into our research process. Um, you know, our our research team, and including myself, as we investigate companies and understand business models. It's also our duty to understand the relevant risks. Now, those risks can take the shape of operational risks, they can take the shape of government or regulatory risks, um, but can also take the shape of environmental, social, and governance risks, um, where we actually have to quantify, uh, score, and rank those risks in our valuation process. Now, I think anytime you talk about risk, you also have to talk about return, because there, uh, there is a trade-off between the two. And based on, on our uh, valuation approach, we want to invest in companies that provide attractive spreads between risk and return. So you know, recognizing risk as an absolute uh, number is, is probably not the most helpful. It's always, we think, you know, more informative to compare that to the relative attractiveness from a return standpoint uh, in order to base our investment decisions on. So would it be fair to say that the risk is different in that, yes, you have stock market risk, but your path of return in this portfolio, it, you may still get to the same place five or 10 years from now in terms of money you've made, but how you get there could be very different just on the notion of if the market's up a whole bunch this year because of utilities and energy stocks, I'm guessing that's not a great environment for you. Yeah. But the flip could be true, right? Right. You're exactly right. And, and I think that really speaks to our focus on company-specific risk, right? It's, it's really our jobs as, as researchers and portfolio managers to understand these business models. Um, very rarely do individuals that can you know, navigate the, the changing macro environments with 100% certainty, um, very rarely does that ever happen. Um, so rather than you know, bet on macro cyclical changes, you know, what the Fed is deciding to do, uh, what legislation will happen, you know, we're going to focus more on our fundamental research um, and, and focus on those idiosyncratic company opportunities. And over time, that is shown to provide a smoother ride for clients um, and, and to avoid a lot of those, uh, those cyclical events that you, you, you mentioned. Not, not at Bernstein, but how long has this type of sustainable investing been going on? Just generally, is it like a 20-year phenomenon in the last five? Yeah, so I, I think the, the proliferation of this really started with um, 
portfolios that were excluding certain areas of the market, so excluding tobacco or excluding alcohol. Um, that has probably been going on for the past 20 or 30 years. Um, various institutions as well as private clients have, have opted for that, and we at AB have, have been able to accommodate that over the past couple decades. Um, but more recently, you know, because of the opportunity set that's grown out there in the investment community, we've kind of flipped it on its head and rather focused on the exclusions. Um, you know, we've kind of taken more of an offensive approach to find those companies with attractive growth, pro growth prospects um, relative to the, their inherent risks and build those companies into our portfolio. So this is, a, I think, a pretty straightforward two-part question. Are you finding at Bernstein or, or maybe just in the industry that there are types of investors more likely to take this approach? Could it be institutions, foundations, high net worth investors, just people who are socially conscious? Is there any commonality in people who say, I actually would rather do it this way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think you're really seeing um, strong growth, especially coming out of 2016 from the UN. Um, you know, I think we're starting to see a lot more of it grow here in the US. Um, Europe, I think, has been the forefront. Uh, they've been the leader of the pack. Um, a lot of the company charters, as well as the sovereign wealth mandates, have actually uh, implemented hard restrictions on companies that, that they can or cannot own. Um, and many of them actually have sustainability standards um, built into their investment guidelines. Uh, here in the US, we're seeing more and more universities, foundations, and endowments um, really take that on. Uh, they've really engaged a lot of the consultants out there uh, to help uh, better manage um, you know, kind of their, their, their educational aspects and, and wrapping their head around uh, the growth of sustainable investing. So it, it's definitely growing. Joe, I, I thank you for your time on this episode. I think this was um, really enlightening for people who are, are less familiar in the sustainable space. So, so thank you for your time. My pleasure. Thanks, Mark. And to our listeners, any questions on this or any other topic, as always, I can be reached at mark.penzener at bernstein.com or directly at 212-969-6655. And remember to check out prior episodes where we covered topics from China, Amazon, Bitcoin, and how to try and take the emotion out of investing. Until next time, so long. Thank you.